you know, I started cutting it off and, and doing the regrowth process. And since then I'm just like, no, like I am, I am not a boy. That's a good story. We need to hold that story. Hold on. We're going to come back to that story. You are listening to the Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. How are you guys doing today? It's exciting. Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding. But I'm going to do it in the spirit of love. We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end. Okay, Be The Bridge community, I have another special treat. Because I always say I have a special treat for you. But today is really a special treat. I'm bringing a new voice. Um, Maybe one you've heard me mention. um, But you get to meet today another member of the Be The Bridge community, the starting member. Um, Eloise Spada was um, actually a part of the original be the bridge group that started in Austin um, with 11 other ladies um, and she is here and she's going to give us an update on all the things that she is doing so I am so glad um, to have you here Eloise I have to read your bio because sometimes you don't know the greatness that is among you and so this is a privilege for us to have um, such an incredible um woman friend um here with us um today and we stay in contact eloise is still in austin i am in atlanta uh, but we stay in contact even when i come to town in um, austin we may sneak out and get some food and all the things right Um, but she is a latina and she has native roots um from the um, um kickapoo nation and she is a child and adult survivor of family and stranger sexual violence, gangs, substance abuse, and homelessness. Despite these high risks of lethal violence and becoming a teen mom, she is resilient. Um, since 1999, Eloise has used her personal and professional survivor leader experiences to guide her work in advocacy. As a national SME restorative transformative justice practitioner, she believes in decolonizing restorative practices and centering the voices of people who are marginalized and disproportionately overrepresented in systems of oppression. Modern day colonization of family surveillance and separation, she uses her expertise in violence and abuse, intersections of child welfare and multi-systems to advance racial equity and human-centered engagement to promote safety, justice, family preservation, healing, well-being for every person impacted uh, who caused harm seeking to make wrongs right. And Eloise is one of those people who actually um, mentored me in some of the restorative justice practices. And those of you who are part of our community, if you're doing a be the bridge group. If you participated in a be the bridge group, you should 
the basis of the group, the foundation of the group is on restorative justice model. And so how we gather, um, how we sit, you know, in a circle, having a centerpiece, setting values, all of those things are some of the principles from the restorative um, justice model. We don't follow every detail of that, but that is the the base foundation of our Be The Bridge group. So Eloise, it's great to have you here. Now, I said a mouthful. I, I probably, I know it's so awkward when people are reading your bio. You're like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, what, you didn't say that right. Oh, what? So I want to just give you, I know how that feels. And so if you had an elevator pitch of what you do, and what would you say? Like, I just read all of that information, but I want you to introduce yourself like I didn't read that information and give us your elevator pitch of what you do. Because I know you do so many wonderful things and I know you're dealing with the hard things, just like we deal with a lot of the hard things of life uh, within Be The Bridge. I know you're um, you're dealing with the same thing in the um in the marginalized communities that you're working with. So give us a little update. Um, sometimes bios can be out of, out of date. So give us a little update on what all things Eloise right now. Thank you, Tasha. Um, so I would say in my elevator pitch of introducing myself, I would start with, I am. I am a mother, a grandmother. I am a friend, I'm a sister. I am a community member. I'm a person. I'm a woman of God. I am a warrior healer. I am Latina with a lot of spice and I am indigenous. My tongue doesn't roll. It doesn't roll. It's the, the south. It doesn't roll, but you know, it, you, you gotta, you gotta do the body shake when you say Latina and the head roll. It's the whole thing. Yes. Yes. I got to work on it. All those years in Texas and I still didn't get it. <laughs> it's okay. We have many more years to work on it. We have many more years. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I would say I am I'm also a peacemaker um, and yes. in our peacemaker work um, is where my warrior healer self shows up um, because peacemaking involves disruption. Um, and many people think that peacemaking means appeasing and calming and managing situations. And that's not at all what it means. Um, I am very focused and dedicated um, to be a voice for the voiceless, um, to create bridges, um, which is why I love, love, love and support with all my heart, Be The Bridge, um, because it really stands for um, what I believe in. Um, and I, I, I've i launched a, a project called the Puente Project um, in the past, which is um, bridge builder uh, between community mm -hmm. members, family members, and systems folks, um, which continue to perpetuate racism and oppression that continue to mm -hmm. harm and affect communities, children, youth, families um, in our communities, in all communities. Um, so I, mm -hmm. in one sentence, am a disruptor and a peacemaker. 
Wow. Wow. And I know, like you said, you are a mother, you're a grandmother, and I know that is some of your your driving force. I got to witness you become a grandmother while I was in um, Texas, and they're all getting so big now. I think um, your oldest daughter, I mean, your youngest, your baby girl, is she like should almost be out of high school, right? She's a senior. Yes. You've seen her grow up. Senior. Wow. Wow. And I remember she was like not even in middle school, you know, at that time. Wow. Kids grow up so fast. Like, um, could you explain, you know, for those who are listening and um, those who are have been a part of our Be The Bridge um, community, you know, a lot of what we've done in Be The Bridge is start at grassroots. And so, um, you know, we didn't have at that time the training elements that we have now. Um, um, We didn't have. Um, videos to tell you how to use the the guide and all of those things. And so there's some things in our guide when you have our guide, the new guide. So if you're using the old guide, you do not have the right guide. And so you have to register your group in order to get the new guide. So we have a lot of rogue groups out there, people who are using our name, using our content, but not registered their groups. And so they're not being trained by us. And so, um, yes, yeah, so I, I took the time to say that. Good. <laughs> and so, um, but I want you to explain. Yeah. I, and you said, and there's something to that, you know, there's something to that, you know, especially an organization that is black led. If you are, you know, using our tools and resources, you should be pointing back to the organization um, because there is still some inequity in that if you're not doing that. So I said that for the people in the back, and I hope that you heard me, um, you know, because we want to make sure that we can create, continue to create curriculum. We are actually um, building our own like um, social media, like platform that we're going to have our groups in. We're launching our online community, our online academy soon. So there's a lot of great things happening. And if your groups are not registered, you don't have the the correct content, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we're talking about restorative justice, um, what is restorative justice? I want you to explain what is restorative justice and why is it such a great model for bridge building? Yeah, um, that's a good question. And, and I want to also just comment back to your material and, and naming you yes, um, as, as people of color in spaces and in my presentations or keynotes, whatever I'm doing, I always, always address both our people of color and our white folks. Right. And I always, always share yeah, with our yeah. people that we have some unlearning to do as well, right? We have to mm-hmm. unlearn and undo internalized oppression and conditioning within ourselves because when we take people's material and make it our own, then we've just stepped into colonization, right? And that's literally <laughs> the grounding, you know, nuts and bolts of how this, how America was, was formed, right? Is, is the colonizers came, took the, the, the farming techniques and took all the techniques from Aboriginal people, right? And we're still doing that today and even to each other. So yes, if you are a Be The Bridge um, follower or builder or group leader, give credit where credit is due because Tasha Morrison and her team have put blood, sweat, and tears into this material. And 
you you just can't mess with the anointing. I mean, you can try to copy it. <laughs> you can yeah. all the oh, things. Believe me, people, people have tried to copy it. They've tried to hire people to copy it. Uh, you know, just all of these things. And we're 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 we are a 501c3. And so we make money through the selling of our resources. So mm-hmm. if people are using our resources and making photocopies of it, that's not pouring back into the ministry, especially if you're doing this as a church right. and your church is not a supporter or a partner of Be the Bridge, then you're just really taking and you're not giving. Like we want this resource to be used to reach your your church community, right. you know, the community, your your organization, your family. But we want to make sure that um, we're doing it the right way. And yeah. so we actually, um, you know, are coming up with a whole licensing program that we're, we're going to be rolling out um, in 2024. So we're excited about all of those great things. And so the thing is, we want you to grow. We want you yeah. to do. But we also want to make sure that you're not, you're not um, causing more harm. Mm -hmm. Um, by not being um, trained in how to use our materials, because that gets back to us too. So we have a lot of people of color that are part of, you know, churches and communities that are using um, our curriculum, but they're not being trained by us. They're not coming to any of our events to, to, um, to, to educate themselves. And so sometimes the people of color and even some of the white people that are a part of those communities are being harmed. And so, Mm -hmm. Maybe we need some restorative justice just to even deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But you know, and, and we're gonna and we want to really enrich. I know, you know, we want to even enrich the restorative justice model of what we're doing within our Be the Bridge community. And so mm-hmm. there's gonna be a lot of new things coming out. So you know, explain to us. I, I'm thank you so much for adding that. Um, you know, how we can perpetuate harm, mm-hmm. even ourselves when we do things like that. Um, but, d- you know, just give us a little update as far as like what it is, because I think there's some people um, that are part of, part of our community and they're like, wait a minute, uh, Be the Bridge is based off restorative justice, huh? How, how did I miss that? That means you don't have the new guy. You don't have the new guy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I I love that you're modeling that we can go back and build, like there's building blocks, right? There's growth. I'm rewriting right now my curriculum for trauma-informed church. So that's, you know, sometimes we we learn, we grow, and we have to go back and and update our material. Um, So what is restorative justice? I have the same... um, I have a very similar concern about how people will get trained and then try to go off and, you know, go to one training and then go off and do the work and, and then potentially cause more harm, right? Because there Mm -hmm. are, there's colonized version of restorative justice, and then there's Mm -hmm. the restorative justice, right? And, Mm -hmm. and which is also called the peacemaking process. And the colonized restorative justice version is primarily used or started in the 70s in here in Western culture, which is the U.S. And it was primarily used um, and then coined as mediation. So Mm. that already indicates harm, right? Mm. That already indicates that something went wrong in the community or in a relationship and now there's an issue to address. 
the decolonized restorative practices really focuses on community building and strengthening our community. Indigenous communities and Aboriginal people used restorative practices basically to govern their own people. So they didn't need a government, right? They were governing their own people, their own tribes by building and strengthening that community, establishing um, norms um, within their community, addressing harm. Yes, they had to address harm. They also um, um, issued assignments, right? Who was who was hunting that and who was, you know, cleaning, who was doing, you know, what? So it was used for, for basically household and community management. Um, and then it was also used for celebration. It was used to celebrate, um, you know, births. It was used to celebrate maturities. It was used to celebrate um, food. It was used to just celebrate each other. Wow. Um, and then also used for education, right? That is where... The, the community would would learn from each other and and teach each other right there wasn't um a, a there wasn't a, a hierarchical position in teaching right there yes there are elders who would pass on wisdom and then there were the youth who would take that wisdom and once they started teaching their let's say younger siblings regardless of what age they were then they became an elder because elder meant to teach right it meant to share wisdom mm. and so we in a, in the western states say you can teach this when you have this degree that degree you can teach this when you've done <laughs> you know this level of work yeah. and where where did you get your training from right and all of these stipulations yeah. that determine um, who can teach. But in all reality, my favorite teachers in RJ work are youth. Our youth. Youth mm. are brilliant. Youth are creative. We got a lot of unlearning to do. They're still learning. Mm. And so right. that's like the right, like pivotal moment where you can capture um, just such a, a level of wisdom and resilience and creativity and new language. Like you want to talk about replacing the old with the new, like if you don't know what Riz is, you're not up to date. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yes. Yes, Uh It's it's all about learning from each other and and ageism goes both ways, right? Like we can Mm -hmm. exclude it. Oh, you've got something to learn. And we see veterans in workplaces and seniority and all these things. When in reality, we, we have just as much to learn from our elders as we do as the people that are coming up. And so build, using restorative practices, restorative justice, however you want to frame it, we say restorative justice is an yeah. opportunity to focus on an individual person or an individual community to focus on, to then focus on building and strengthening that community. You can also address harm in using restorative justice. I use RJTJ, um, restorative justice and transformative justice. Because I've been doing this work so long and doing this work in the community, I was like, okay, I'm picking, I'm I'm reaching in the river, right? Everyone's heard about the analogy about the the children in the river, right? Where are they coming from? And they're drowning in the river. And so we've been reaching in and pulling children and families out of the river for so long, at some point you have to stop and say, wait, how are they even falling in the river? 
where right. where's the loophole right who's are they getting pushed yeah. are they not seeing a gap like what's happening right. so i yeah. started traveling up the river and saying okay there's not enough time or resources to help these individuals or families what's going on and that's when i started taking a look at policies at systems and saying okay mm -hmm. wait a minute i'm seeing the gaps and transformative justice is changing those systems which continue to perpetuate violence, harm, poverty, all mm -hmm. the things, oppression on people, um, mostly people of color, right? We're, we're not going to yeah. sugarcoat anything here on black and brown, right. indigenous, um, Asian Pacific yeah. communities, right? And, and so on. There's a lot of, and I'm not going to other people, right? But all people yeah. of color. And yeah. what I saw is these, these systems that were causing fam individuals and families to fall into the waters went all the way back to days of colonization and slavery, mm -hmm. right? And so what we call systems today is modern day slavery. The mm -hmm. systems, the ground, the foundational systems back then, and I'll use child welfare as one of them. It was one of the founding systems in the U.S. That's where children were taken from their families, um, indigenous children taken from their families, put in orphanages and then stripped of culture. Right. They were they were not allowed to speak their language. They were not allowed to dance. They were not allowed to do the things that they do. Well, if we fast forward, we look at our education system imitating that system and our child welfare yeah. systems imitating that mm. as well. So restorative justice and transformative justice um, gives us the framework to be able to address both. So we're going to support and I'm doing air quotes for those of you that can't see me. <laughs> oh, they will see the video. They will see well, the video. Okay, so, all right. Yeah. So I'm going to be so doing this, this all day long. You girl. You look cute. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, yeah. let's use an example of a family um, who is barely making it paycheck to paycheck, right? So they're likely mm -hmm. under the poverty level, right? So now because they don't have adequate um you know, shoes and clothes and food and all these things, a call goes into child welfare for neglect or um, abuse, right? And it's primarily, our, our, our people are primarily reported for neglect, um, which then falls, and then 84% of people who are reported um, are live under the poverty level. And so we're supporting this mm -hmm. family and then we say, okay, let's address the immediate needs. Let's build some bridges from with this family to their school, to the community resources, right? Everyone that is in position to their church that can help them. And then let's find out why this family is in the need that they're in. So we find out that maybe mom is undocumented or um, you know, dad has a criminal record, right? We're not even going to, I don't even, we don't even have time to talk about mass incarceration, right? But that's a real thing. And so there's right. a record, right? There are barriers that have kept this family from being able to, to be, to achieve. It's, it's 
it's the, the family's greatness, right? Because of this, this ceiling yeah. of oppression. And so then we say, okay, yeah. what systems need to be changed so that dad can get a job, right? So, and then we work with individual organizations to say, what does your policy say about that? How can we change those policies? So now let's use Goodwill as an example, right? Now I'm not publicizing for Goodwill. I haven't done work with Goodwill, but we're just going to throw it out there because everyone knows who that is. Um, and let's say Goodwill changes their policy and now they help people with, you know, backgrounds to get a job. So that's part of transformative justice, right? And now right. we're connecting mom with services who can help her get her papers, right? And help her, um, you know, get the support that they need. And now we're able to look at affordable housing, right? So all of those changes around that family is right. where transformative justice and restorative justice are married. That's how we're able right. to see sustainable changes. Because if we just keep addressing challenges, the right? bottom line things while they're in the, like they're in the river and we're like, oh, they need clothes in the river. They need food in the river. But like, how do we keep them from getting in the river? Like, how do we keep really them? Think about yes. Yeah, like, like how do we keep them on the land, you know, out of the system, you know? Yeah. Yes. And so, Yes. Yeah, and it seems like it just seems like common sense. Mm -hmm. But common sense is not as common as we think, because even the idea of you thinking about the systems that are bringing harm to people or the, the ways that we um, do justice is bringing systemic harm to families generation after generation after generation after generation at some point we should get tired of that because that's impacting the whole not just that individual we are collective we're connected to each other that's it right. is impacting all of us homelessness is impacting all of us and so we don't look at this you know from a high um you know um systemic place to see okay what things in our mental health care system, right. what things, and, you know, after care for the military, um, mm -hmm. you know, when people like, how do we could, um, move people back in society after, after they've been in re 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 prison, how do we really restore them without yes. them still being punished after they're out of prison? If we don't have systems and, and programs and, um, funds to, to help, we keep getting this same cycle. But even to say that, what we're saying, even to say that in our society and the culture that we live in, uh -huh. to think critically about those things is a negative thing. Right. And, I, and it makes no sense from a gospel standpoint. Like it makes no sense from a Christian, you know, standpoint, you know, um, you know, um, to, to, to really think about these things and how we how can we prevent this cycle of oppression and marginalization. So you are dealing with some hard things. What types of communities and organizations are you working with um, as it relates to the restorative justice and transformation justice framework? Um, I would say all. I would say primarily um, okay. marginalized communities, of course, not going to leave my people behind. Okay. Um, this is for my people yeah. and, um, and then multidisciplinary fields. So I've worked with education, with law enforcement, co-authored curriculum for Texas state for law enforcement, um, 
I think I said educators already, social work, crisis support, human trafficking, domestic violence, sexual assault, um, DA's office, civil um, and criminal um, systems. Um, Gosh, did I leave anybody out? Anybody, churches, churches um, have have engaged in training um, because, and I'm glad you brought up, the church's role in this is because for a long time and still today, <clears throat> the church is serving as a ministry of support in a um, saviorism manner. Right. And so we're, we're having the food pantries, right. We're, we're doing that work, but are we doing any work to find wow. out why the families are hungry? Right. Like, are we doing any of that long term work? Um, Because our churches are our primary place that people go to for support and for healing. Um, And and what the work that we do within churches is, is, first of all, we point to the word. Right. Justice is in the word over one hundred and forty times, depending on the translation yeah. that you're reading. If God is talking yeah. about justice, mm-hmm. then we as the church need to be talking about justice. And what does that look, right. what does justice right. look like in the word? And in the word, justice is translated as to make right. How do we make things yes. right? How do we make mm-hmm. things right for the people that are trusting us with their stories, with their tears, with their fears, right? How are we supporting yes. those the people that are counting on us the, the most the people that are counting on us the, the most the people that are counting on us the, the most the people that are counting on us if you've been enjoying and learning from the Be the Bridge podcast we invite you to join us in this work you can support and sustain our mission as a recurring partner at be the forward slash give you can also help spread this word of bridge building by supporting and really sporting our apparel. So if you haven't gotten your Be The Bridge hat, sweatshirt, all of the things, let's take the message to the street. Visit our online store at shop.bethebridge.com and make sure we're spreading the word about all the work that Be The Bridge is doing and will do. At Be The Bridge, we're doing the work to empower people and culture toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial reconciliation. And this work is only possible because of the generosity of bridge builders like you. So thank you so much for those of you who are listening and sharing our podcast, sharing our posts, those of you who are giving to this work um, that's helping us create resources and material um, that will transform hearts. Um, So join us at bethebridge.com forward slash give and let's continue to build bridges together. Thank you so much. I mean, and that's that. I, I think one of the scriptures that um, you know that really led me into this path. There was a conviction. I think in order to do this work, there has to be um, a conviction, you know, to, to, to sustain you and to keep you in this work. And um, you know, mine. You know, I actually uh, 
I have one tattoo and my one tattoo. Um, Not me um, celebrating says, your tattoo. I know, right? <laughs> I have one. You know, I never finished it because it hurt. I don't understand all of you who have them. No, I, I am mean, a ton. That's, 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 that's your business. That's your business, but they, are, they do not feel good. So I never finished it. Um, but, you know, like that scripture, you know, in Isaiah 117, it says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend um, the oppressed, take up the um, cause of the fatherless and plead the cause of the widow, you know. Um, and, 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 and if you continue to read on in Isaiah, you just hear this, 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 this plead for, you know, justice. And there's this punishment coming because, you know, you're not doing the work of justice. You know, you're not putting action um, you're not um, 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 uh, doing the work of it. You know, you're you're bringing incense. You're doing religious ceremony, mm-hmm. but you're not doing the things that matter mm-hmm. um, to God. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're more concerned with your religious services, and so we can take that in today's terms and look at your you're more concerned with getting the larger screen. Um, um, so that it projects better, you know, uh, while you're you're presenting online, um, you, you we're more concerned about, you know, um, you know, j- our facility, or you know, how many people show up in church, or you know, all these things that really don't make I sense. I agree. Um, in eternity, um, and so, um, so yeah, so that's that's so when you say that, you know, when we talk about justice. Um, those are some of the things that are like convicting for me. And I feel like there's a lot of people who want to do this work, um, but it's not a conviction. So I think the prayer is that the work of justice, you know, um, you know, um, what it means to walk, to act justly, to, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God, like that, that we would embody that as individuals. And I think, you know, in this work we're doing, because we need more practitioners, we need more people to join in this work, Mm -hmm. um, that we're doing, because if not, we're just, what we're doing is passing trauma down (laughs) from generation to generation. Um, Tell me a little bit about um, um, Harmony One Solutions. I know this is the name of your organization. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, the, so God gave me the name um, through lots and lots okay. of prayer. Um, the prayer that I I rest on, or the scripture that I rest on, is Psalms eighty nine fourteen. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And so I, as I was praying about this and knowing that the, the, when you dig deeper into restorative justice work, you'll recognize if you're really reading your Bible, you'll recognize that Jesus used this work. Like he sat with his disciples Right. He's he built yeah. community with them. He broke bread with them. Everything that I've been talking about, he addressed individual growth opportunities and issues and then the big transformative work. Right. And so I'm like, wow, Jesus, yeah. you're amazing. So if this is your yeah. if if righteousness and justice is the foundation of your throne, then it needs to be the foundation of my work, because I only yeah. do this because of him, because my BC days didn't care about nobody, like nobody. So right, it is right. literally the love of Jesus. And so 
God gave me this, um, the name. So harmony, um, the definitions is a combination of simultaneous sounds to produce chords and progressions, right? It's not the same sound, but it's simultaneous sound. So when we think about our voices in, in a space, our collective voices, cries, concerns, right? All the things that we share, worship, right? All the things that we share, we're producing this arrangement, right? Of sound. The second meaning is an arrangement of the four gospels. When I saw that, it was done. It was done, right? And it says the parallel narratives. And so when you look at this work and you bring people together to all share their story, they all have something different to add. They can, you can take people that all serve witness to the same car accident and they're all going to say, I saw it coming from this way. I saw it coming from this way. I saw it coming from this way. And that's what we need in this work is for people with different perceptions, not the, everybody's saying the same thing, like, no, we need to find the gaps. And so harmony yeah. um, was embedded. And then one references a person or thing mentioned um, a change from one to another, and then one being unity. And so this allows us to remain our individual selves and stay true to our individual convictions and and vows to God and purpose and then join together in unity as one towards a movement, right? Not conformity, but to not to conform, but to transform. And so the two yes. together is, is bringing multiple perspectives to join as one in a movement. So that is where Harmony One um, yeah. came from. And it was re- re- Harmony One Restorative Justice for a long time until... We just recently shifted. We've been doing some rebranding this year and called it Solutions um, because of the transformative justice work that's being added. Um, We work with systems folks um, and then support um, our local um, communities at no cost. What we do with systems, there's a consultation fee, a training fee, a coaching fee, all of that. But when we serve our communities, there is no fee. Um, I have I have been referred families who are in the reunification process, just like what you mentioned, whether it's a parent coming home um, or child separation um, and that child is being returned home or that child is being moved to grandparents' house or, or whoever's, um, whatever family member they're placed with. Um, and then individual support for um, survivors of domestic violence, human trafficking, um, sexual assault, and other types of violence, um, gun violence, um, police brutality, you name it. Um, so I always say I charge Peter to serve Paul. <laughs> um, yeah, and so that's okay, the work that okay. we do in Harmony One. Wow. Like, and I, you mentioned something you said, like, you know, um, you know, Justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne and and it's the foundation of the work that you do. And it's also, it should be the foundation of our hearts. You know, um, justice is about being, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's not just about doing, Uh, we want to do justice, but we want to be just, you know, we want to be righteous, you know? And so I'm, 
you know, in this work, we do a lot of facilitating. And so we we're hosting conversations in our community, uh, what we call like kind of like um, dessert and um, dessert and dinner or donuts and dessert, whatever, like to kind of that first ramp of of conversation where people who are just, you know, um, beginning to have this conversation and um, maybe a broken community. And so one conversation um, that Be The Bridge just um, facilitated was a conversation between police officers and, um, um, you know, um, from the marginalized community of, of, of at-risk um, um, young Black boys, you know, yes. and so so that they can yes. see each other, so they can see these officers in, 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 in flesh and, you know, these officers can see them, hear them, hear their fears, hear their stories, know their mm-hmm. family, all these things. And they they actually, the, we worked with this organization called Lead Atlanta and they actually, um, they facilitate a baseball game that the police officers facil- um, participate in with these young boys. You know, mm-hmm. this is that type of work where I see you as human because I'm sitting at this table with you, having a conversation with you. Yes. And hearing you say that, you know, you don't feel safe anywhere. You don't feel safe at school. You don't feel safe at the street. The only place you feel safe is in your room at home. Mm-hmm. That's You know what I'm saying? When, when the only place you feel safe is in your room at home, Yeah, you know, or, or with your parent, or, you know, just different, you know, so yeah. them hearing that um, is really them getting up close and personal with the one, with the people that they serve. Yeah. Because they're here to serve. And so um, those are some of the things that we do. And so when we talk about restorative practices to promote anti-racism, anti-violence, holistic ecosystems of support to our all communities align so much with the vision of Be The Bridge. I'd love for you to talk about that work and how your work is actually used in anti-racism work, anti-violence, and some of the holistic ecosystems. You named a few, but just mm-hmm. like maybe given um, a few examples um, of some so people can really see how broad and how big this is. And this is a resource and a tool yeah. that 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 we have that where people are doing real work, real community um asset development work mm-hmm. uh, within communities using these indigenous tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just, just imagine if we were using the, um, the non-colonized <laughs> um, version of that yes. work. <laughs> um, yes. And so, yeah. And so if you could just explain a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so, so I would say first, like I think a lot of the hesitation um, or resistance to restorative justice, I'm saying RJTJ, is that people still have in mind the colonized version again, right? So they're thinking of justice as I got to go marching, I got to hold signs, I got to pick a side. It's a political, um, yeah. you know, movement. And it's not. When, so when we look at the decolonized version, uh, the true mm-hmm. version, we're looking at, I want to build community. I want to strengthen community with the people that I'm doing life with. And the anti-racism work that we're able to do through that is to say the one of the number one questions that we ask is how has systemic racism and oppression impacted you regardless of what your race ethnicity is everyone answers that even if it is a white 
person saying, I've benefited from that. Right? I've benefited yeah. from the systems. I have had privilege from that. That is creating a space where real dialogue can happen. And then to hear, be in a space in a structured conversation, right? When I say structured, that means we're not talking over each other, right? We're using the talking piece. We're doing all of that, even if it's virtual, for people to be able to say, I've been passed up for promotions, right? I've been turned down in bank loans. I've been, you know, followed in a store. And and I always say, because values are, there's a lot of training to do around values as well, because people automatically think that we're built with them and we're not. Values are developed. They're instilled in us and they're developed. And so I always say through this process, empathy is developed, right? We can't expect, it's not something that can be ordered. So when we go into circles or we go into the process and people are like, empathy, I'm like, all right, let's talk about empathy. Um, Empathy and respect are the two main ones that pop up. And and so it builds a sense of empathy and a greater understanding about what the real challenges are, the day-to-day challenges of why I'm afraid to drop my child off at school, why I don't want them to catch the city bus home, right? Why I'm working multiple jobs, all of these day-to-day issues and and giving people a real understanding that it's not, it's not race bait, right? This is reality. Right. This is humanity that we are all living out day-to-day. It also helps to develop some I call it aspiring allyship. I do not use the term allyship lightly um, because I believe that our white bodied friends are going to be working towards addressing their privilege and undoing what has been embedded through them, through that, whether it's upbringing or in their DNA. Um, And that's a whole nother training as well about you know, how, what racism looks like, what biases and power looks like, and to be able to address those things in space consistently develops that, that aspiring allyship, right? So it's a white body aiming to be an ally. I very, very rarely hand out the allyship card, right? Because it's, like I said, it's ongoing work and Anybody can go back or opt out of a conversation. We don't get to opt out of those conversations. Um, So we also use the anti-racism work to really look again at whether it's in a a workplace um, process or circle, because I get called in to do RJ circles between staff and boards or board of directors or all staff, you name it, really like what does our policies look like for all of our staff. And when we're looking at, we're like, okay, you have four white bodies in executive leadership. You have, you know, two out of five in mid-management, and then you have all POC at frontline, like the harder jobs, the longer hours, the less pay, right? And so we start looking at that equity and, and pay equality and opportunity within jobs. Um, the same within schools, right? No matter what department or what field we're we're doing that work in, we're doing it. 
And then with community, I would say that was a real challenge, Tosh, when we started um, because people were like, what? You're talking to white people? Like, you turned on us. Like, what are you doing? Right? <laughs> and I don't know uh-huh, if you got right. that, but I got that a lot. And and I was like, no, we're working towards racial reconciliation because, yes, in my upbringing, I was taught we don't trust white bodies, right? White bodies hurt us. White bodies separate us. White bodies um, tell on us, right, which is also known as reporting. Um, and so really being able to build those relationships through this anti-racism work um, with with communities and providers um, or communities and pastors, right? Because we have a lot of white pastors out there. Um, yeah. You know, funders, you name it. Then we're able to start seeing more understanding and that leads to accountability, right? To be able to say, right. hey, in space, we said we're going to do X, Y, and Z and I'm not seeing that. Um, so we're really empowering the people. I, I, My personal story to that, Tash, is when I got saved, um, it's really a Paul story. You know that. I was yeah. born and raised a heathen. I was bad as all get out. <laughs> I had, I had a, a one-way ticket to hell, like you name it, right? And through God's grace, his mercy, his love, yes. he reached down yes. and pulled me out of that pit of hell that yes. I was in. Yes. And and yes. I remember in the early days before I knew much about God, I didn't even know what a, a chapter and a verse was called, right? God mm-hmm. yep. moved me through the story of Esther. And that is my mm-hmm. vow to God, right? As she was position in a place she didn't belong. Her people would have never been in her position or in the rooms that she was in or had the access that she had. So when I think of RJTJ work, I think of how God pulled me from this position and has placed me in in rooms and in, at tables and in conversations with judges, with policymakers, with, I mean, you name it, federal policymakers to be able to advocate for my people is exactly what Esther did. And God told Esther, if you don't do it, someone else will. And there ain't nothing like being replaced by God. Like, like, no, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll do it. I'll do it. And, and that's to me, the anti-racism work because Esther was building a bridge between two communities. And although the war wasn't canceled, she had the access to go back and empower and equip her people to be able to fight that war. Our people are sitting ducks. Our people have been sitting ducks for hundreds of years and will continue to be if we don't do more about it as a people, as a community, and just as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just our journey, you know, um, when we first started, um, you know, the, the group wasn't called Be the Bridge at that time, you know, um, we were having these conversations and then Ferguson happened and mm-hmm. Ferguson happened in the midst of us having these conversations. And we were able to give a totally different perspective because we live in, you know, um, homogenous like communities um, where you wouldn't have heard someone else's perspective and why 
they feel the way they feel about this circumstance because, hey, these are the experience. There's a pattern here that you don't know about because yes. you're not privy to this information in our communities. Yeah. And But there's a pattern here and you can look at the history of the community and that's going to give you even more insight, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, so all of these things and, you know, and, and so I think, um, that was just really helpful in um, helping to, to, to manage, um, these conversations. And we were very honest with one another. Uh, mm-hmm. we were, um, you know, um, you, you know, and I, I found one of the things that, um, you said, you said that, you know, a lot of times people in the group, They'll say, well, how does this impact you? They don't try to, you know, you shouldn't try to make stuff up. So, cause sometimes people try to make something up. Like I remember, you know, talking about, you know, um, racism and, you know, this one girl told me, she said, well, you know, like, I forget what percentage of, she said of the pop of the, um, you know, we, I, we were talking about seeing yourself, like mm-hmm. seeing yourself in a tennis player or someone, some of the first to do things, you know, like, you know, seeing, a a, 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 a you know, um, a brown ballerina or mm-hmm. seeing tights now that, you know, that are made, um, for, all, you know, all hues of skin or makeup stuff. We were having that conversation yeah, and she said, you know, yeah, band-aids. And she said, you know, I, you know, like only a certain percentage of the population has red hair. <laughs> and I said, so you oppressed because you got red hair? Sometimes <laughs> you can't look these things up. You cannot. And I'm like, yeah, I don't see a lot of dolls with red hair, but I think you're missing the Yes. But so that's why it's so good in these conversations yes. <laughs> to really listen and not try to compare your situation um, to a marginalized group. That's you are not marginalized because you have red hair, right? You know, right? You you are not marginalized because you have red hair. And if so, our problems um, could be know, solved by a box of color. Hello, yeah. somebody. <laughs> yeah. I can see if you say that, like if you're talking about gender, you know, you're talking about being a woman, you can relate being a woman in corporate space or being a woman within the church. There are some things that you can relate to as, as it relates to marginalization, you know, comparing that, but not red hair. Don't compare red hair to me. And even some of you that you may think, well, you know, I don't, it's hard for me to find makeup or it's hard for me to get that. Keep that to yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear that in the grand scheme of things of what people are doing. We're talking about life and death. Yes. You know, in the grand scheme of things, you ain't dying because of your red hair. Right. You know, and so, so some things in these group settings, you, you, you need to take that to Jesus. And some of that happens in the church too, because I mean, I would say the most, uh, complex conversations that I've had about race is with I'm like, if you don't stop whitewashing this, like, okay, you want to talk about like, I know, I know my word cover to cover. So yes, let's talk about the word because my Bible, it (laughs) defines the people by their culture, by their ethnicity, right? It's the Samaritans, it's the Nazarites, it's the Egyptians, right? They, my Bible the covers to cover identifies yes. people by their culture. 
And so, yeah. no, it, yes, yeah. Jesus loves us all. And yes, he, he also addressed the, the culture, the geographical challenges, the famines, yes. right? The, the racism, yes. <laughs> like within, yes. within the yes. oppression, within the yes. word. And so, yes, like. It's, it's so people, they, they said, well, there was no, okay, ethnic hostility. That's addressed, <laughs> you know, um, you know, throughout scripture, you know. Um, and so that is so true. Like yes. the, the Bible has an answer. Um, but are we willing to listen? Um, are we willing to lament? Mm-hmm. Are we willing to, to 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 learn? You know, are we willing to do that? We call it the L's of work. You know, we say listen, learn, lament, and leverage. You know, mm-hmm. are we willing to do that work, that deep work, that yeah. deep heart work, not the surfacey work? Right. Because it's the surfacey work that um, that is the problem now. When you read one book or you go to one conference and you think you know everything, yeah, or you have one one friend of color and you think you know everything. Yeah. Like if that if that is you that you don't know anything even if you have a wealth of friends even if you've read 10,000 books is your heart transformed right. has your mind been been renewed right. you know and so that's the deep work that we have to do so um and Jesus you know, did that first right like yeah Jesus is the king of reconciliation, yes. right? Yes, he is yes. the, the king of of transparency and confession and yes. repentance and reconciliation. He, I always say, he reconciled us first. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right he you went know, to the I, Father on our behalf because yes. of our wrongs. And so, when we can, when we can share our wrongs, like you said, in a real deep, authentic way yeah. to say, you know what? And cause some of our, some of the hard work is hard. Like what are some of the biases that you've had about another race? And you've got people saying like, well, I used to think my neighbors like had too many cars parked in their grass and in their driveway. And I just thought all the Hispanics did that. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I had a friend tell me before, uh, who's another woman of color, black woman said, you know what? I, y'all, y'all knew the, y'all knew the secret to generational wealth. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she says, now I understand why y'all y'all took in grandma and y'all took care of grandma. Now I understand yeah. why you take in your, you know, your family and why multiple families live in a home. And now we understand like you're saving, you're building, you're buying, you're and and I was just like, yeah. man, like I know, you know, to hear someone else's perspective, you know, yeah. it was is impressive. And and so sharing those sometimes it's hard. Oh, I have seen veins pop yeah. out of people's neck and but that's yeah. doing the hard work. Yeah. And we have to we have to know each other's stories. It's important for us to know and understand each other so we don't play that um oppression Olympus. Oh, I know yes. um and you do this work. I wanted you to talk about also um there's a book that you contributed to called Restorative Discipline Practices, A Journey and um, Implementation by a Community of Texas Educators. So you've done some stuff in Texas as it relates to dealing, using restorative practices as dealing with discipline in schools. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us just a little bit about that? 
um, yeah. you know, share a little bit about that. And then we'll go back to this other subject we were talking about. I know. <laughs> There's so much. There's so much. There's... We can't cover it all. That's why, let me just say this. This is why all of this, this is like, I mean, we can have this conversation all day. We cannot nail it all within one hour. But um, Eloise is going to be with us. I, I think you're going to be with us at our leadership summit yes. that we're having in January. For those who are want to lead Be The Bridge groups, who are leading Be The Bridge groups, this is our training course. This is our training um, event that we offer for those who are leading these conversations in their community, in their um, corporations, in their churches. This is where you come to get trained. Um, to do this work more effectively, um, you know, and 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 really um, learning to cultivate relationships with other people who are doing this work. So Eloise is going to be with us there, and she's going to go a lot deeper into the RJTJ um, um, practices and stuff. So yeah, just tell me a little bit how you're doing this with discipline. Yeah, so um, with discipline, what what we recognized, um, and and this is national data is that black children yeah. um, were disciplined at a higher rate. Black female children were disciplined at an even higher rate um, than any other children. Second to that is brown children, um, brown girls, then brown boys. And um, discipline in a way that, um, that resulted in missing or lack of education. Um, so we call that the prison to pipe school to prison pipeline. Um, so children were removed mm-hmm. out of class, which is their community, um, which also imposed sense of shame and um, embarrassment, guilt, um, condemnation, right? All the things that are imposed on this kid, right? You're bad, get out. Um, you're not good enough to be here. Where would they go? They'd go to ISS, um, which is in-school suspension, which we frame as um, the beginning stages of conditioning for prison. Um, they are taught um, basically how to stay in their cubicle all day long. Their work is brought to them, their food is brought to them, or they're taken to lunch outside of regular lunch um, schedule. They um, walk in a straight line, right? All the things um, that that involve isolation and seclusion. Um, then they're released back into class without any or little re-entry process, um, which is extremely important because then the reason that they were um, let go is, was, is usually not addressed with their community or they're put on a contract, right? So that's close to probation, parole, right? So it's all the conditioning work. Then we look at the next level of discipline, which is out-of-school suspension. They're completely excluded from the building itself. So now they are really out in the community. They're left vulnerable, likely hungry. A lot of kids um, get their meals, their community connections at school, their support. They may have, they may be missing um, their tutoring, right? All the extra things that um, they're supposed to get, which then also increases the gap in connection and relationship. So now the kiddo is less likely to reconnect with their peers, reconnect with their teachers, and also reconnect with resources, right? So they may were supposed to go on... Thursday to 
go get pick up their voucher for glasses or something or go to, you know, the after school program, but they were suspended. And now they're like, forget that program. I don't want to go. And so now there's, there's the result of that is the student is also rejecting this. And what does that do for the family as a whole? It puts a burden on the family to the caregiver, the parent to have to miss work, um, losing hours, losing pay, potentially losing PTO time to have to go to these meetings. Um, also, um, hearings are usually involved. So it could be an ARD hearing, a, um, re- their version of re-entry hearing, which is all, again, the, the, the colonized version of punitive discipline. Um, and then the next step is is alternative learning schools, which is what we call the closest you can get to prison um, system within the school system. So it's a completely separate school. Again, now they're wearing all the same clothing, usually jeans and a white shirt or something of that sort, blue bottoms, white top. So everyone is uniformed. Again, um, there's higher security, there's um, stricter policies, kiddos walking in line, the, the the school structure, all the things. So yes, they're getting an education, but not at the level that they needed or with the connections that they had maybe for their accommodations. Because we also recognized in data that kiddos who receive special education are also looped into um, that that increased um, punitive discipline practice. And so the work that we've done and continue to do in schools is really to tackle every single one of those policies and practices that result in, in the child being excluded and mm-hmm. helping, again, the, the non-colonized version, helping the child um, build healthier communities um, maintain mm-hmm. relationships. So we call it prevention, intervention, and, and complex response. So complex response involves reentry, reunification, any kind of treatment level support that they need. Now maybe they're getting tested, right? So maybe they were acting up in school because they weren't keeping up. They couldn't comprehend the lessons. Right. So now we finally got them to a point because it's a lot of advocacy for a parent to get their child tested yeah. um, and the accommodations yeah. that they need. And so we're building those those bridges really between the students and community, but then also enhancing the community to include community partners, grassroots organizations, yes. churches, youth yes. leaders, um, you mental health yes. providers, um, even with yes. the law enforcement that is at the school. We've been able to see some real success stories because a child was connected to someone within their school, surprisingly, even an officer, right? There was an officer at one of the schools um, who always played basketball, always played, but he was always on the court playing basketball with the kiddos and he built a great relationship with them. And so sometimes they would call him in and, and say like, I want, you know, cause they could pick a support person in the school and they'd say, I want him to come. And, um, and, and so by addressing this again, when we opened, I mentioned the two foundational systems that were developed in the days of colonization and slavery, and that's child welfare and the school education institution. And so now we're able to embed these practices and build 
these tools, right? So it's a skill building practice. It's a tool that this kiddo is going to be able to take with them wherever they go. Because we often share with kiddos, like harm is inevitable. It's going to happen. And so the, the earlier that we can instill these practices in our kiddos, the better chances they are at keeping a job, right? They're not going to get mad, cuss out, cuss people out and walk out, keeping a relationship, a right. marriage, a, a family, right. right? Being able to connect with their children and, and their community and their church, right? So it's really a skill that is necessary for us all. And then we've seen parents or the caregivers, grandparents and aunties, whomever it is that's um, caring for the kiddo, start engaging in this practice as well. So now we're able right. to address not only intergenerational trauma, but to instill some intergenerational healing within families right. and individuals. And then even teachers have come forward yeah. and said, I need this for my family too. I, you know, this is going on, this yeah. is going on. So we're seeing that ripple effect right. of, of healing. Yeah. Cause we shouldn't as a society, we shouldn't want to hold the record of the, you know, the most incarcerated people in, in the world. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like we, we, we shouldn't want that statistic, not in, um, a country that stands for liberty and justice for all. Like, you know what I'm saying? We shouldn't want those statistics. And I, I, I think, you know, when you, you do have those community bridge builders, those community partners to work alongside the school and the community, it, 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 I've seen it work where, you know, um, there was some business people in a church that worked together to put a person, a full-time person in this um, apartment complex that had high turnover mm -hmm. um, of people where all those kids were not passing the standardized test that we call um, behavior issues, all these things. But when a full-time person was put in place to have an after school um, program, where those kids could go after school, get help with their homework, get a healthy snack, yeah. um, engage in conversation um, with the leader, learn um, um, values, um, you know, um, learn all types of um, life skills that yeah. they were learning, getting help. Every ninety percent of those children that were in that program, all of them passed the test the next year. Mm -hmm. Behavior problems yeah. ceased. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So there are solutions, there are. but we're not willing to put the work in to do this bridge building that needs to ha ha happen. Yeah. Um, you know, um, you know, none of this is hopeless, you know, it's, like yeah. I, 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 you know, I look at the, the homeless, um, you know, the houseless population now, and we see it in just about every city, you know, all the things that's happening. And I'm like, we can send We've sent people to the moon. We float cities on oceans, basically. Come on. Come on. Yes. You know, we're sending people up to orbit the earth. Yeah. You know, but yeah. we can't think of a solution. Yeah. <laughs> for houselessness. And yeah. so I, I'm so grateful for the work that my brother Terrence um, Lester is doing. Um, you know, here in Atlanta uh, with Love Beyond Walls. Um, mm -hmm. I had him on the, the podcast, but I'm so Love grateful that. for you and the work that you're doing. What story I want, you know, like you talk about, um, 
you know, this, this, this RJ, um, TJ work, what are some, and I, and I think I've been a witness to this. What is a, a story of, um, restoration that you've seen and maybe someone that you've worked with? Um, thank you for, for asking that because the stories keep me going because it's a lot of work. Um, and it is hard and, 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 I love Lester's work too. And I believe that we have to do the work we do outside the four walls. I believe that there was an awakening and the church was forced to move outside the four walls. And, um, and so the success story that, um, comes to mind is a, a person that was referred to me, um, for domestic violence and, um, she had encountered domestic violence and she um, was very resistant in the beginning. And they, they, they mm-hmm. over here, they're like, she, they call me the survivor whisperer. Cause they're like, if there's a, a person that can't get through to these people, minors or adults, then Eloise. Right? And so that she was sent to me and, um, and I just really use the process, uh, first humanity, you know, to the love of God and, and the process, you know, practice what I preach. And so I'm building a relationship with her at her pace, at her pace. And that's the important thing is because we want to measure the success of relationships based on our own pace. And that's not the way that the world turns because we don't know the trauma that the other person has endured. Mm-hmm. And so um, it took a little while and finally she, um, she started attending one of my classes and she would stay after and she started helping pick up the stuff from the table and just kind of talking after everybody left. And so then I started seeing, okay, she's, she's reaching for this olive branch that I have out. And we just started sharing more and more. She started letting me in. And then I discovered that this that she was actually not enduring domestic violence. She was enduring human trafficking and the person that, Mm. that they accused her of fighting with was not an intimate partner. It was a person trafficking her. And she's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, but I don't know how to tell because this person's threatened, that person's threatened, right. You know, that he's threatened, you know, my children, my family, you know, all these things. And so I said, okay, Let's work on getting you out. Let's work on getting you safe. Let's and her children had been removed because they thought she was in a domestic violence situation. And so we got her um housing, we got her support legal support. We were able to to rally up at her pace. Um and every single step of the way it was like, okay, let's think about who we're going to add to the next meeting. Let's and it took a while but it was so worth it because through this process, we were able to guarantee her safety. We were able to track this trafficker. Um, this trafficker was taken off the streets. This young mom got her children back. She got housing. She got uh, even even her job. Like the the system was saying, like you need a job. We need pay stuff. Da 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 da. And she's like. She was so traumatized. She couldn't even get on the bus, Tosh. We would have bus sessions. We'd say, okay, ride the bus from this corner to this corner. And she would 
freak out and she'd run home from the bus stop, right? And so it was a we got her into to counseling and therapy, right? We got her into all of this, into church. We found her a church. Um, and we brought in the pastor into what we call success team meetings, right? And so she had she, we built this this community of people who was willing to rally against this person who believed she was alone and had been alone and isolated for so long and hurt over and over and over. And she began to see hope and she began to see like, wait, people actually care. People are actually showing up. This isn't, this doesn't cost me anything. Right. And, and, and to be able to use the resources that are available. And this mom um, said, you know, the, the, the one, the one barrier that we had a really hard time overcoming was the work, um, was a work job because she was afraid that they were going to find her. She's like, you know, there's people mm-hmm. that are going to find me. And we're like, okay, what do you do really well? And, and what, how are you raising money? She was walking dogs for her neighbors and she was grooming them. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, let's go get you a DBA. That let's launch your yeah. business. Let's think outside the box, right? Like let's, let's not try to shove these people into these boxes that systems have developed right. for them. She got her DBA. She got her kids, her housing, her, all the things that she needed. And she's doing amazing. She's still doing amazing wow. today. We still stay in contact and her mm. kiddos are doing great. Like, I'm so proud of her. She doesn't ha- have to ride the bus because she got a car. And so, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just those type of stories that I'm like, if you yeah. just spend the time and you build relationships yeah. at their pace, then you can really see the challenges and, and yeah. the fear that people have to be able mm. to come forward and ask for help. And so, um, yeah. you know, I think that was, that was a main one. And she was a person of color, you know, that's the other piece. Right. And she's just like, you know, realistically, she's like, they're not going to believe me. They're going to hold this against me. They're going to, you know, there had been mm. this generational because she had aged out of the child welfare system herself. And so yeah. she was like, I know how this goes. I'm never going to see my kids again. She had zero hope, Tosh, zero hope. And I remember yeah. when. And that cycle would have been still continued if there was an intervention. Right, right. I remember when she got her kiddos and we went, I went to her apartment and we helped decorate her apartment and get it ready for her babies to come home. And we just sat in her living room and we just cried and we just danced and we celebrated. And it's just one of the hundreds and hundreds of stories that give me hope to continue this work. Well, that is so good. Um, it's you are hearing from Eloise um, Sweda. She lives in Austin, Texas. Um, she's a certified professional life coach and human certified human rights advocate, and also a certified DB, um, TBRI um, practitioner. Um, so we have some people that are a part of our community that are doing some amazing bridge building work. And so I'm so grateful that we met um, 
during that time in, in 2014, um, you know, and we've <laughs> stayed connected since then. Uh, we had a lot of great, hard conversations. Uh, mm-hmm. But I always tell people um, one of the things that um, that was a gift in our Be The Bridge group by the people, specifically the white people who were a part of that group, is their gift to listen. Mm -hmm. And they did not try to Mm -hmm. compare their stories. I I remember when we talked about, you know, how have you experienced systemic racism, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, all of the white people um, in that group, they didn't try to make something up. Right. Um, Right. They said, um, and because they understood at that point what it was and what it's not, I have not experienced it. And I am here to hear your stories and to learn and to grow and to be transformed. You know, that was a gift at that time, you know, and it's not a perfect work. You know, it's an ugly work, you know, it's an uncomfortable work. It's a, yes, it's a painful work. Um, But when you're willing to lean in, um, there can be some beauty from the ashes. And um, I'm seeing that with the work that you're doing and um, RJ, TJ. Um, I look forward to hearing more stories. I'm so excited about you coming to the Me summit um, this year. And, um, you know, I, and, 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 you know, and for someone who would want to get involved in a restorative justice work, um, what would be a good um, first step for them to take? Um, I would say seek decolonized restorative justice training. Um, We're releasing a new book um, the beginning of next year and printed by Living Justice Press. Um, They Mm -hmm. um, only support true, authentic, decolonized restorative justice work. Um, It's called, I think I just said, Colorizing Restorative Justice. Um, You can look on that website um, for practitioners who practice decolonized restorative justice. So it'll let you search by state yeah. as well. You're, you can also always reach out to me. Um, if I have the capacity and the ability to support you, I will. If not, I will point you to somewhere else. I have pointed to plenty of practitioners, right? right? We're not in a world of competing. And I mean, this is a big right, right. work. Um And also, you know, just really, I want to encourage any, you know, BTB practitioners and group leaders just to really, you know, lean in to the work that that Tasha set. And and I will be 100%, I believe in giving credit where credit is due. And Tasha, that was the first faith-based conversation that I had about race. I, I had done it in a lot of other places, but Be The Bridge was the first racial reconciliation church <laughs> group of people <laughs> that right, I had right. I had that conversation with. And I remember the invitation yeah. and I remember thinking like, oh boy, let's see what this is about. And then <laughs> really hearing like what you said, you know, the white bodies in the space, not making excuses and not trying to make something up and, and the transparency that we were all able to share. And, 
your humility, you know, your humility to say, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just following God's vision and I don't know where it's going <laughs> to take me. And you weren't even international. No yet. idea. <laughs> Had no idea that it would end up here. Us talking on the podcast. Like, <laughs> no, no. We went from the parking lot to the podcast, girl. <laughs> Wait a minute, we've been somewhere like you and I, we've done a a panel at South by Southwest a couple of years ago. You asked me to be a part of a panel there. Um, So yeah, this- You've asked me to be a part of panels, like just doing the work. Oh yeah. And videos and all kinds of things. Yes. We've, we've done that. We've been doing this together for a while and, um, it's incredible. Um, but you know, she is an expert in what she does. And so it's just, it's, it's, it is an honor to know you and to see you grow and see you growing in all of these things, you know, like to take this and you're doing so many other things now and, um, and it's how you live your life. And so you embody this work. And so that's what mm-hmm. I would say is one thing to do it, but when you don't embody, embody it, when it, it hasn't transformed your heart, Right. You know, um, when it hasn't transformed your mind, right. your, your mind, um, it, it, it's empty work, I you know, agree. it's meaning meaningless. And so um, that's what you, you want to make sure you're living out this. And so you want to live out reconciliation. That means to make things right. So um, mm. that is like, that is the thing where if you're doing this work, but you're not living this out personally, or if you're doing it and not giving credit, if you're, if you're doing it and, you know, making copies, I'm bringing that back up. Like that's that's not making it right. You're you're adding to the issues, you know? So all of that, I'm so grateful that you're going to be with us. And so what is something as we close, what is something that is bringing you hope? What is bringing me hope? Um, is really seeing one you thrive um, because this work, you know, God is God is the center um, and the foundation of who I am, and we can do this all day long in our communities and in in our you know workplaces and all of that. But if we're not doing it where it matters most in in our within our faith and within our churches and to see your work thrive the way that it has and the international impact that you have um gives me hope um so when i'm talking to these church folks over here that haven't caught on yet i'm just like okay but there are thousands of people over there that's doing the work so you're one versus a thousand right like god told david like look back you got ten thousand over there and so your work uh, gives me hope. Um, and then second, um, or maybe I should reverse this, is is my family um, and my children, mm. my grandchildren, and seeing them do that work. Because integrity is when, you know, what, what are you doing when no one's looking, right? And integrity to me is right. what are my children and my grandchildren doing that I'm doing? And right. to so to see right. them mm. love God and to see them aware of race and and equity and addressing challenges and building healthy relationships and girl I, if i could tell you some of the conversations we have like i'm just so they they are you said this in the beginning they are my big why and 
I would never in a day want my children or my grandchildren to endure the levels of trauma, the complex trauma that I have. And so to see them have an opportunity for a healthy life, like that's, that's hope for me. That is hope to know God, love God, and then walk in that and aim for, and just love people, you know, and aim for justice and equity and advocate in their own little ways that brings me hope. It tells me that I'm, I'm doing something right. I mean, I've done a lot wrong, um, but I'm doing something right. Right. <laughs> right. And where can people follow you? Oh. And we'll put this all in the show notes. But. Awesome. <laughs> um, so my website is www.bethechange.tools. Um, I have my own personal mm-hmm. website as well, Eloise Cepeda at um, Eloise um, I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. What else is there? Twitter. Um, all under my name, yeah. Eloise Cepeda. <laughs> yeah. um, but you're welcome. She's to on TikTok follow- too, y'all. She's oh. trying to leave that one out. <laughs> She, she'd be on there dancing and, and, and twirling and doing cartwheels. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You'll yeah. see all my sides, my serious side, my advocacy side, my crazy but you side. Know what? We have like, to have joy and fun. Mm-hmm. We have to have joy and fun. We and have. that's your outlet because you, you run hard. And so, like, you have to have your outlet. So... Thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to having more conversations and um, all of this will be in the show notes and we will tell everyone how to find you and how to connect with you. So thank you so much for listening to the Be The Bridge Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Be The Bridge Podcast. To find out more about the Be The Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, go to bethebridge.com. Again, that's bethebridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lauren C. Brown is the senior producer. And transcribed by Sarah Knatzer. Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production.